0: Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. The final week of Christ's life before His death and resurrection began on Palm Sunday. The Gospel writer Luke records it this way in chapter 19 as we read in the Greenhouse. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and they set Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks out on the road, and the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And as Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, and he wept over it. Jesus said, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, But now it is hidden from your eyes. Such a contrast. Despite the fanfare and everybody chanting his name, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The entry into Jerusalem for Jesus was not a pleasant one. We see Jesus ride in on the donkey and then we see him weep. He weeps because he knows what lies ahead on this holy week. He knows the pain that he will suffer. But the reason he weeps is not just for the pain that he will suffer because he knows the pain is not just limited to himself. He weeps over the city because he knows that there are so many there who will reject this gift that he longs to give them, the gift of himself, the gift of a relationship with God, the gift of freedom from bondage to sin, and ultimately, this gift of peace. If you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Isn't peace something that we all long for? We long to be freed from our stress, from our anxiety, from our shame, from our fears, from our guilt. some of you arrived here this morning beaten up pretty badly. You arrived carrying a lot of shame, a lot of fear, a lot of guilt, and not a lot of peace. Some of you arrived here feeling crushed under the weight of stress from your job or from your school or from finances, or from your home life. Some of you arrived here this morning feeling trapped by secrets and by addictions and things that you've tried to control but have been unable to. Some of you came here this morning with broken hearts, wondering if it could ever be possible that God could bring peace to the broken relationships in your life. We are all desperate. Desperate for the peace of Christ. And if the gospel isn't true, then we are completely hopeless. But it is true. And there is hope. And his name is Jesus. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to to do two different things. First, I want to briefly tell you a story that many of you have heard before. The story of the last week of Christ's life before his death and resurrection. The story of the very first Holy Week. And secondly, I want to invite you to do something that seems a little crazy in our culture. And that's to join us in remembering this last week of Christ's life and reenacting it together as a church family, participating in the Holy Week services on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of this week. Most of you in here have heard the Passion narrative many times. But when was the last time that you really heard it? When was the last time that it took your breath away? And that the story of the gospel in Christ's death and resurrection left you speechless. Holy Week began that first Palm Sunday. Could you picture being there? Watching the God of the universe riding into town on a donkey, covered in sweat from the heat of the sun, a sun that he had created, covered in dust from the earth the earth that he had formed with his hands. Jesus overlooking the city where in five days he would go to the cross and be crucified because of his love for us. Could you picture looking at God with skin on and seeing the compassion in his eyes, seeing him weeping over these people that he would die for? There is no one like Jesus. You know, that first Palm Sunday was such contradicting emotions. You know, the triumphal entry, the children were waving their palm branches and shouting Hosanna to the king. But just a few verses later, we see Jesus weeping. We see him weeping over this city. Can you see the tears in his eyes? Can you imagine just the contradiction between those shouts of Hosanna, those shouts of praise, and now those tears? It was a foreshadowing of the even greater contrast to come throughout that first Holy Week. And now 2,000 Palm Sundays later, our worship service today actually embodies some of those same contrasts that we're going to encounter this week. A few minutes ago, we entered singing and waving palm branches and singing Hosanna, and it was this joyous demonstration of our loyalty to Jesus. Hosanna, you're our king, we love you, we worship you. But in a few minutes we'll join together on our knees in confession and we'll confront our own sinfulness and the lack of loyalty in our hearts that ultimately led to Christ's crucifixion. And then we'll come to the table and we'll remember his death. And in between that opening palm-waving hosannas and the sobering time of confession and communion with the broken body and blood of Christ, we listen to Ryan read the Passion Narrative And it was long, on purpose, because it's important for us to experience the story as a whole before we reflect on it this week and its various parts. After the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, it's recorded that Jesus spent Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday visiting the temple during some of the days and spending the nights with his friends in Bethany. And on Thursday, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and he said, Go prepare the Passover meal in this borrowed upper room. And Luke records it this way. In chapter 22, verse 14, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, listen to this, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Yes, I just long to be with you. I just long to be with you. And then Jesus said the words that we hear spoken every Sunday during the Eucharist. Luke records it, that he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And after that, the disciples started arguing over who was the greatest. They've been sitting at the table with the Son of God, feasting with him, and then they start arguing over Who will sit at his right and left hand? Maybe the modern day equivalent in our world, at least the teenage world that I spend a lot of time in, would be coming to take communion and then 10 minutes later fighting over shotgun outside, you know, when you're getting ready to go in the car. We do it every day. We we look at Jesus on Sunday morning and then we leave and we forget his greatness. And we start focusing on ourselves. And Jesus said, guys, look at me. Look at me. When you look at me, you will experience the peace that you long for. And then he responds to their bickering by giving them a new mandate. Which leads us to call it Monday Thursday. Mandate Thursday. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you. And then he shows them what that love looks like. And he washes each of their feet. Including the feet of Judas, the very one who was about to betray him. And he knew it. Who washes the feet, the dirty feet of someone who is going to turn them over to be killed? There is no one like Jesus. After Judas turned Jesus over to the authorities, the Son of God was taken through a series of trials on Thursday night and Friday morning. And although they found no guilt in him, they sentenced him to the most gruesome form of death ever recorded in history crucifixion they stripped him they beat him they mocked him they spit on him they whipped him and in Luke 23 it's recorded what happened when they came to the place called the skull they crucified him there and they did it alongside criminals one on his right and the other on his left and yet how did Jesus respond to them Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. There is no one like Jesus. By 3 p.m., the Son of God hung on a tree, naked, bloody, and breathless. He was buried by sundown in a borrowed tomb. And the authorities assigned guards to stay and watch on that Saturday, and they sealed the tomb with a stone. But before dawn on that Sunday morning, the first Easter morning, the tomb was empty. Christ had defeated death, and he was alive again. There is no one like Jesus. Why did Jesus endure such shame and such suffering? Because of his love for sinners, because of his love for the very people who put the nails in his hand, because of his love for you and me. And there's so much more to the story. When we look at the Gospels, we see Mark and John devoting half of their entire books to just recording this one week in Jesus' life. And Matthew and Luke talk a ton about it as well. It's like the Scriptures go into slow motion during Holy Week. And the writers want to make sure we understand the importance of of this week in all of history. I'm sure there are many of you here this morning who've never participated in Holy Week. Maybe it's a, a new thing for you. You know, I personally didn't grow up attending Holy Week services. It wasn't until we moved to Greensboro nine years ago that I became part of Redeemer, went to a Monday Thursday foot-washing service and a Good Friday service where we nail our sins into the cross. It wasn't until a few years ago when I experienced my first Easter vigil and it is such a holy and sacred gift to walk through this week together as a church family. It's actually the most important single week in the entire calendar for a Christian. It's, the, it's one of the longest known practices in all of the church. The term Holy Week appears in all these historical writings. Bishops like Athanasius wrote about it and all these records. But we also have the gift of archaeologists who've discovered ancient writings like a journal of a 4th century Spanish nun named Magaria Over 1,600 years ago, this nun was writing to her sisters back in Spain, and she was describing how Palm Sunday was historically celebrated in the city of Jerusalem. Listen to what she wrote in her journal. "'As the 11th hour draws near, "'all the children who are gathered "'at the top of the Mount of Olives, "'including those who are not yet able to walk "'because they're too young, "'and they're therefore carried on their parents' shoulders, "'all of them bear branches,' Some carrying palms, others olive branches. And the bishop is led on a donkey. We were going to get a donkey to lead Allen in this morning, but it didn't work. <laughs> in the same way as the Lord was once led. From the top of the mountain as far as the city and from there through the entire city, everyone accompanies the bishop the whole way on foot. And this includes distinguished ladies and men of consequence. Y'all, the church has been celebrating this for at least 1,600 years But longer than that, since the first Holy Week, the church has been walking back through this week of Christ. Why? Why have they been doing that? Why do we spend so much of our time this week doing that? Because there's something powerful that happens inside of us and that forms us when we remember and when we reenact important events together. I mean, we do it all the time. It was about a month ago out at Battleground Park. Hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people, gathered for the reenactment of the battle of Guilford Courthouse. On our birthdays and our anniversaries, we celebrate and we remember those special occasions that happen on a certain day in history. And even on sad days, like the death of a loved one. And on the anniversary of their passing, we often gather with family and friends and we look at old pictures and we tell old stories and we remember the significance of that person. And what does that do to us when we remember it, when we reenact it? when the reenactment of the battle for Guilford Courthouse that happened in our backyard almost 250 years ago, it takes an event that often feels like fiction in our minds and helps us remember the weight and significance of the lives that were actually lost and sacrificed during those days. And remembering a loved one on their birthday or their death day, it often stirs our affections toward them. And maybe most importantly, as we remember and reenact significant parts of our history, it forms our very identity as a nation, as a family, and as individuals. So when it comes to Holy Week, the most important week of the entire year for the church, we remember and we reenact Christ's life because it helps us remember its deep significance, because it stirs our affections towards Christ, and because it forms us as a people, It reminds us that this isn't just a story that happened a long time ago. But it's our story. It's the story of the people of God. But in order for us to experience that significance and depth and be formed by it, it requires us to pause. And in our hectic culture, pausing is a difficult thing to do. It feels awkward to just be silent for even one minute in reflection. It sounds fanatical to go to church five times in eight days. It's disruptive. It's inconvenient. But y'all, if we're not willing to have our lives disrupted so that we can participate in the holiest of weeks, what does that say about what we believe? Our desires and our affections are being molded by the things we give our attention to. And the reality is that we are being shaped and formed by stories. And what story could possibly be more important for us to be shaped by than the story of our own God and his death and his resurrection on our behalf? And I'm not telling you this to try to guilt you into participating in Holy Week services. I'm telling you this because I believe that God wants to shower you with his peace and with his love. And I cannot think of a better way to experience that than by intentionally disrupting your life and walking with us as a church family this week slowly through the last week of Christ's life together. Something significant happens when we intentionally slow down. It was over a year ago that I was, went on a silent retreat with three of my buddies up to St. Francis Springs Prayer Center just north of town. We gathered together for 48 hours in silence. We opened the time with an hour of praying and sharing together and closed the time in the same way, but in those 46 hours in the middle, we spent it in silence. Most of the time was spent in solitude, but we did gather three times a day, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner to eat our meals together. And it was extremely awkward. We uh, just sat at this table in this private room. It's called the exercise room at St. Francis. Not exorcism, exercise. And we just sat there and had our food and stared at each other. And it was more time than I'd ever spent staring into the eyes of other men in my life. But once we got past the awkwardness something happened. It was like God gave me a deeper affection for each of them. And to help the time pass, I chewed a lot slower than normal. And something happened when I chewed more slowly. It seemed like I was able to taste the food more richly. I wonder if this week, this holy week might be a week where you have a holy disruption in your normal schedule and the things that you need to do. A week where you stare into the eyes of Christ and see his compassion for you. A week where you choose slowly and taste the richness of the peace of Christ. We began this morning by reading Luke's description of Jesus approaching Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. As he saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus said, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus died so that you, church, may have peace. In Romans 5 8, Paul writes, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were the ones nailing him to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. He died for his enemies so that we could have peace. And the terms of his peace are pretty clear. He says, if you want to experience peace, true peace in this world, you will have troubles. But if you want to experience peace, first you've got to get off the throne and stop trying to be your own king. Let me be the king of your life. I am a kind and humble and compassionate king. And I'm a way better king of your life than you will ever be. But if you want to experience that, you've got to get off the throne. If you want to experience this peace, you've got to lay down your weapons. Church, what are our weapons? Our weapons are self-sufficiency and self-righteousness. I don't need you, God. I can do it on my own. God, I'm good enough without you to make it in life. He's saying if you want to experience peace, lay down that weapon of self-sufficiency. Lay down that weapon of self-righteousness and say, Jesus, I depend upon you. You are my only hope. The terms of the peace say if you want to experience peace, admit that you cannot defeat sin on your own. You've tried over and over again, but you're sitting in those chairs battling many of the same things you've been battling for years. Jesus is our only hope of freedom. Admit that we cannot defeat sin on our own. The terms of the peace are simple. Accept this free gift that has been given to you, purchased by the blood of Christ on the cross. And bow your life before King Jesus. Because he's the only king that has ever laid down his life for you. In a moment, we're going to bow down together. We're going to bow down in confession. And when we do, I would encourage you to just start by admitting to God that you desperately need his peace to rule in your life. Admit that you have tried to be your own king and to rule your life in a way that has not worked for you. Lay down your self-sufficiency and cry out in dependence upon him, Hosanna, save me. And following the time of confession, we'll pass the peace. This isn't just a meet or greet time for our church family. It's a time when we actually pass the peace that we so desperately need to each other and look one another with affection in the eyes and remind one another that we have the hope of glory Christ in us and that we can speak that peace with power, effective power to one another. And then we'll celebrate communion. And as you receive the body and blood of Christ, take it in remembrance that he died for you and receive the forgiveness for your sin that has already been paid for. And as you go home today, pull out your phones, look at your calendars, talk with your friends and roommates and families and say, hey, could we consider disrupting our routine this week? Maybe missing some things that seem important so that we could walk through this sacred. Holy, precious week together. God longs to meet you there. He wants to give you his peace. Come, to you, his affection for you. He longs to give you his peace. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. There is no one like Jesus. Amen.